Welcome to Rising Tide Startups, where today's most exciting solopreneurs share their startup stories. They also deliver tangible strategies that they would implement personally if starting their business over today. Each episode is a startup masterclass. Make sure you take notes. Take it away, Kevin. This is Kevin Pruitt with another episode of Rising Tide Startups, and I have a special guest on today, John Dykstra. John, thanks for joining us on Rising Tide. Hey, thanks a lot for having me, Kevin. We already did a little chit-chat off, off uh, before we hit the big red button, and John, I am excited to hear your story, but I've, I've started asking this intro, this kind of the bio question a little differently because you know I've had people give me a three-word answer, and I've had people talk for 21 minutes on their bio. So I'm trying to corral that a little better and saying, you know what, if we were at a networking event, how would you introduce yourself to me? Sure thing. Uh, basically, my main business is I, I taught myself or call myself an online publisher. And what I do is I own a series of websites that are basically like nonfiction books or what we call niche websites and they cover very specific topics each website catering to a particular audience and you know I started with one and that worked and I added another and slowly as you know I got to write about and publish sites that pertain to my interests and so that's been great and I really do liken it to publishing basically a non-fiction book online and that is the nature of my business and I got started with the whole online thing back when I when I worked uh, as a lawyer and had a firm and started a website and was introduced to blogging and it went from there. So was the transition from attorney to niche site blogger was that because you didn't like the the law industry or is it because you just thought you know I can transition or maybe I'm doing both and one just kind of took over the other what was that transition story? Yeah, well, that was uh, it was a tough decision actually because because I liked law quite a bit. I, I like practicing law, and uh, I kind of fell into this as a result of law. And ultimately, I had to decide to do one or the other just because you know the, the online stuff started growing pretty fast, and and so so did because because this stuff was so like the SEO and, and the law blogging way back in the day. That also was very effective as a as a local business marketing channel. So. So I had two things that were working extremely well online. And so ultimately I had to choose one or the other. And, and, and I really just, I really like the online publishing stuff because it's just, it is a more flexible lifestyle. Uh, I like the idea of just being able to cover topics and niches that have, a, have an interest in me. In fact, I like law enough that I, I did once uh, publish a, a site on law and continued in that vein from that perspective rather than practicing it. So not an easy decision, but at this point now, it's been a number of years. I, I have no regrets. Was there kind of a like a like a an overlap period where you were you maintain your law practice and you started doing these sites until they got to a, like a critical mass and you thought okay now's the time to step out what was that path yeah there, there was a time of overlap i mean this stuff doesn't happen overnight you know you don't just launch a website and it you know becomes a high traffic number one in google yeah it's, tomorrow it, it's a it's like all online marketing you know it, it is a process so so yeah, there was overlap. So I was doing law and you know, really the, the focus when I was practicing law was the law website, the, the blogging for that to, to build up the marketing channels and, and get clients that way. And that was very effective. And then, then I kind of dabbled in a, in a side niche site just for fun as most people who get into this business do. They just start with a, something that interests them. And, and I didn't really know where that would go, actually. I, I actually initially didn't expect that that would become a business in itself. I, I thought right. it would just be sort of a side fun thing. 
but it did grow fairly quickly. Um, you know, it still took a couple of years, but um, eventually then, then I was forced with the decision. So it was, it was really a side thing until it wasn't a side thing. <laughs> so you started with one site. When did that site turn into like a company, like Fat Stacks blog? Okay, well, well, FastX came along in 2015. Again, okay. that was a result of me. That, that's where I talk about uh, basically this whole niche website as a business model concept, online publishing. So, so FastX was in response to that. So by that point, I had, a, I had a number of sites already that I was working on. One principally, one was my main, main site that I really devoted most of my time to. So by the time I decided to completely leave law, I had uh, two sites going and they were, they were of equivalent size. And actually those sites aren't even around anymore. I, I, I started something new, which, which turned out to be bigger and better as I you know, got to learn more and more about this business. But yeah, so I had two at the time. So I, I've seen so many like courses out there about how to do niche sites. And you, know, you hear names like Spencer Hawes and, and other people that are kind of in this space. And it, it's hard to decide or it's hard to kind of filter out the people that are actually good at this and doing it well and the people that are just creating a course to, to sell a course. So what, what do you need to look for? I mean, like if, you're, if, if you are looking for help in this space, if you wanna kind of get into this arena, what are some of the, the, I guess, triggers or something that would really indicate that this person really knows what they're doing? Well, I think the number one indicator would be that they actually have a site or a portfolio of sites independent of the blog where they talk about this stuff, right? Right, I, I, kind of, right. I sort of liken the FastStacks blog, point. which is... Which is where I talk about this stuff as a business model, it's, called, it's, it's what I call a meta blog. It's sort of looking down onto what I'm doing right. otherwise, okay? It's actually a very different business than running niche websites, surprisingly. They're both websites, but it's, it's a very different business model. We can get into that. So the number one thing really is to make sure that they can demonstrate to you that they're actually in the trenches doing it. Like, do they have other sites that form their main business or do they only have the one site where they're talking to you about how to launch a website? And I think that's the, the number one distinction you wanna look for. And there are a number of people out there who sell courses like I do, who actually have a really great portfolio and they'll show that to you. And they may not share the site names, but you can tell quickly like they actually have other really successful websites that they're talking about. And, and that's what you wanna look for beyond that. Read, read, their, read their blogs, watch videos if they have any. And, and if, you, if you like what they say, then, then go for it. You know, then that, that's really the only thing to look for. I'm not, you, the, what you just kind of described is almost the catch-22. So you could say, find somebody that has a successful portfolio, but then they're not going to share the actual sites themselves. So are they looking, you looking at Google Analytics? Are you looking at, you know, just page views? Are you looking at ad revenue? What are, what are the... I guess the factors that you're kind of judging success, you know, versus just, you know, kind of paid traffic or whatever. Yeah, right. Oh, well, that's a, that's a good point because somebody could be doing paid traffic to make it look like they have a good site. So you would want to look for Google Analytics screenshots for sure. Now, if they only have one, you know, maybe, maybe that's a screenshot of, of the actual site where they're <laughs> telling you about this stuff. So you're not going to know, but generally they're going to, here's a, a better marker would be, you know, if they monetize with, 
a, a particular um, affiliate type offers or even better yet ad revenue or ad networks i should say you know they're going to show screenshots of these numbers hopefully right and you know for instance like fat stacks i i do have some ads on there but it earns like a pittance like that's not really the main driver there and so you you would tell right away like the other bunch of screenshots i have for the ad network that i work with on all my other sites you could you tell right away well there's like eight of them so or seven of them so you know there's multiple sites going on uh in terms of distinguishing between paid google traffic and and organic search traffic you know most people who do a, a screenshot they should they should filter it out for the for the organic google will will offer that in ads uh, analytics and so you could see okay well that's the actual organic traffic so just little nuanced things to look for it's a good point you know especially if you're new to this and you know it's it's easy to miss all of this stuff when you're trying to figure out who knows what they're talking about now when you're when you're looking at these sites um is the is the primary revenue generator is it affiliate links is it ad revenue is it what what i mean when you first started this i guess and has it transitioned since then i mean you know when you first started building your first sites was you know did you have affiliate links on there did you have ad revenue what was what was really kind of paying the bills so to speak on your first sites yeah initially it was all affiliate that's that's all i was aware of I had heard about AdSense, but sort of the word in the industry was AdSense was the, was the worst way to monetize a website. So I didn't even bother. That was a big mistake because a little bit down the road, I started a new site and the affiliate stuff just wasn't working. And so one day I just, I had actually pretty good traffic too on that site. And so I put AdSense on there and it, and it earned a really good amount in one day. And I thought, you know, how short-sighted of me <laughs> was just sort of barking up the wrong tree with these affiliate stuff, which is a legitimate way to, you know, some, sure. some people do far better with affiliate offers. Mm -hmm. I'm not knocking affiliate offers. I'm just saying experiment, try, try both really. Uh, so I put the, the AdSense on, which is Google's ad monetization options for ads. And I put it on and they perform really well. So I basically from that point transitioned entirely I would say to 90, 90% of my portfolio's revenue is, is from display ads, not affiliate offers. That's my focus. Um, I'm all for affiliate marketing. It's, it's a super effective way and it works, but the type of sites that I, that I build and that I focus on really work better with display ads than affiliate offers. So on, on uh, like AdSense or, or display ads or whatever. So I, I'm thinking if you've got, you know, if you have an affiliate, you know, if you have your affiliate links on a niche site and it's a, it's a micro niche, it's really specialized, but there's some high dollar, maybe affiliate purchases that, you know, can be made, like maybe it's high-end tactical gear or something like that. And you, you know, you could have a few cells in the, in the process and do really well on affiliate links versus like AdSense, like, but maybe there's not 500 people coming to your site a month, but they are really locked in you know, those 500 or a thousand people or whatever that, that come to the site versus say you've got a hundred thousand just kind of disparate, you know, gawkers, you know, that are just kind of clicking in and clicking out type thing. And so is it dependent solely on the, just the number of people coming to the site? Is it dependent on how long they stay? Is it dependent on what they buy? What, what's kind of driving that, that ad revenue? Well, the ad revenue is definitely a numbers game, but you, you know, also it does matter who, who your audience is. Okay. Because some niches are far more valuable with ads 
as others and just like affiliate like affiliate stuff works well when you're targeting buyer intent keywords where you know somebody's searching for something where they're literally like one or two steps away from pulling the trigger on a purchase right, right? they come to your site they leave your site they buy uh, so we really distinguish it between buyer intent content and informational content and buyer intent content is what you're going to want to use. If you're going to focus on the affiliate stuff, you need a lot of it. It's got to be effective. Mm -hmm. uh, whether you're selling a, a $20 kitchen utensil or you're selling, um, you know, a $3,000 piece of software, right? You've got to attract the right people to your site about to pull the trigger. Now display ads a little bit different because you need a lot more volume, typically a mm -hmm. lot more traffic numbers to, to make a decent earnings but the ad industry has come a long long way since i got started like it used to be mostly adsense was what most people were using now, now there's some really really good ad networks out there where they're with header bidding a lot better tech involved and the ad revenue is just way way better per thousand visitors which is a key metric when you're looking at this but again uh you know i'm in i'm in niches where i have my lowest earning niche with ads is about 10 and a half bucks per thousand visitors. And my highest one would be $38 per thousand visitors. So it's almost a four X difference yeah, yeah. with the same ads, same ad networks, just different audience, different niche makes a big difference. But does the 38, you know, dollars per thousand, is that, is that a, a more focused niche and has lower traffic numbers than the, than the $10? No, uh, actually it's a, a broader niche and <laughs> has a, probably like 20 X the traffic. So wow. no, it's not really dependent on how focused you get or, or any of that. It just happens to be in a niche where there's a huge commercial viability to it versus, versus the low paying one. Now you started your first uh, niche site, what year? 2009, 2010, somewhere around there. And it's kind of a side thing. Going back to, to 2009 versus versus now, how has that that space changed? Oh, well, we had well, to record I would say, another podcast to, to cover all uh, the changes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could do a whole detailed timeline on that. I'd say, generally speaking, Google's driven pretty much all of the changes, most of the changes in the public publishing sphere. Really, I mean, you, you know, before 2012, before the first big Google algorithm change, you know, there was a lot of link building going on pretty, you know, just a lot of that. And it worked really well until Google was able to sort of filter out for that. And so denigrate like Panda or Penguin or Penguin, that okay. was, that was the disastrous Penguin. And, and so, you know, they've rolled out various updates over the years and they've had big impacts on, on how publishers go about their business. Now I'd say overall, the last few years, things have been pretty consistent. Google's a lot less draconian for the most part. I mean, mm -hmm. it used to be like if they thought your site was doing something with, with spammy link building or something, that was it. It got hammered yeah, hard. Black hat. Now they're, they're a little more nuanced mm -hmm. and more forgiving, I would say. Um, that doesn't mean sites take big hits. I mean, I've had sites go up and go down. I mean, it's just par for the course, really. But Google's driven a lot of changes. I would say another big change was uh, Facebook traffic used to be very, very easy for brands and pages. Um, organic reach was massive on Facebook and, and they really pulled the plug on that a number of years ago. And uh, fortunately, I've generally focused on Google organic traffic uh, 
rather than like really putting all my eggs into the Facebook basket. Right. But a lot of publishers took a hit there. They had to really adjust after that as well. Have you seen uh, Bing take any of Google's market share or any other search in other, I guess, browsers that are, that are taking any of, the, of that space? Or is Google still, I mean, obviously they're still the big player, but. Yeah, I mean, Bing traffic is there, but let's, I, I wouldn't, it's not a consideration. I don't, I don't ever wonder, I go, boy, what, what is, what, what updates has Bing come up with lately? And is there anything <laughs> I need to do to, to, to better cater to work? Yeah. It's not really a thought. If I get some from Bing, great. If I don't, I'm not really worried about it. It's such a small fraction of, of the overall traffic. Like I, yeah. I get more traffic these days from Facebook and Pinterest, which are really sort of gravy traffic sources, not key driver traffic sources than Bing. So it's, it's really pretty far down in the pecking order. And you're utilizing social media to drive traffic to your, to your, your niche sites. So um, I would say one in particular, uh, to a decent amount of volume, but still, again, it's, it's a fraction of what Google drives. And I hear the term like niche sites. And I hear the term authority sites. What, what's really the difference in, in your mind between those two types? Uh, indistinguishable. Actually, I would say they're interchangeable terms these days. I would say maybe six, seven years ago, I think an authority site would be viewed more as like a, a large dominant brand within the, the niche, think your print magazines that now have, you know, most of their readerships online, right? I mean, clear authorities within the space. And a niche site had this, had this sort of connotation to being this very small, very focused. So maybe a site on um, raising a particular type of fish in an aquarium in your house, like that, that would be it, that would be the niche site. But I think as we, as we've gone along over the years, they're really interchangeably, I use them interchangeably, maybe that's wrong, but I think you can say I have an authority. I think the difference would be, you know, if you have a smaller site, it's a niche site. If your site truly is an authority, like it's recognizable, like let's say um, Yoga Journal, right? Which is the dominant yoga print magazine and website in the yoga space. I mean, you know, if your site is 120th of Yoga Journal, I don't think you, you would say, well, I have the authority yoga site. That would be an incorrect, but you could say I have a niche site. Now, did I, uh, I think I was listening to another, another interview you had done. And, and I think the host mentioned you had written 5 million words. Yeah, at least I, I'm just spitballing really probably, probably more. That's a conservative number over the years. I, I mean, my, that's what attracted me to the whole thing. Uh, I'm an online publisher. I do a lot of writing. I also work with writers. I hire writers, but I still write. I like writing. It's what drives the business. And so, yeah, that was my next question. I mean, where does the majority of your content come from on these, these sites? And, and uh, you know, after you've answered that question, I'm curious, like, how many sites are we talking about? Sure. Uh, well, I hire um, writers like directly, like freelancers that I meet on various uh, freelance job boards out there. So there's plenty of them. My favorite is Pro Blogger Job Board. It is an amazing place that brings really good writers and publishers together. And so I've hired writers directly on there. I also work with, uh, there's a distinction, content services and content agencies, okay? So I liken a content agency to sort of, if they just provide a platform and they kind of bring the writers and the publishers together and you can order your content through the platform. The platform gets a percent and then there's this massive pool of freelance writers and they just, whoever, who has, whoever first picks it up gets the project, they write it, they deliver it and so forth, okay? 
Then you have the writing services where they have their own in-house group of writers that they've hired directly. You place your order with them, they farm it out to their own writers and they turn around and deliver the content back to you. So difference, but generally speaking, your rates are going to be pretty similar across the two. Um, I've used many, many content, both agencies and services over the years. I'm, I'm using multiple currently. I, I tend mm -hmm. to find, hey, well, this, this outfit does a really good job for this site. And this outfit does a good job there. And then my in-house writer, she, she's like perfect for this site. And she's basically running that site and doing a good job. So you just sort of cobble together content sources over the years and kind of almost no rhyme or reason in the long run, but it tends to work. Now, do you actually hire like content managers for your sites that say, you know what, I, I'm, I've started this, I'm stepping out, I'm actually hiring somebody not to create the content, but manage it to make sure that it's done well, make sure that it's, you know, populated, make sure that you, you know, that they found writers to write content for that site. I still largely fill those shoes. Uh, I did hire a portfolio manager and he has a number of the sites and he does a lot of the content approval from the services mm -hmm. before they actually go to the site so he'll review them so yeah i have hired someone but i'm still very very directly involved in much of the whole big picture process in terms of uh, coming up with content topics is a big thing that's essentially my job is coming up what are we going next month we're going to place an order with all our various services and agencies what what topics do we want to publish this month on site A, site B, site C? And, and that's really what I spend a lot of time doing. And so how do you how do you kind of weed out the, you know, just the kind of the content factories versus actually good content, you know, when you're when you're like contracting these out? Yeah, that boils down to who you hire, really. Uh, you know, you have to just make sure you hire people who are producing the content that they like. So you know, I, I always start with a new service or a new freelancer with a small order and see how they do. And I check it out. And if it's good, then we'll ramp up those orders. And if it's um, terrible, well, then we don't bother. So, I mean, that, that's really the only way you can tell. Uh, I really like to look for that. Who's ever writing it, they have, it, it, they can show and demonstrate that they have a certain amount of expertise on the topic. Yeah. Um, or a real personal experience with it as well. Um, it doesn't always have to be like, uh, you know, I have a master's in such and such and so right. qualified. Uh, personal experience can be just as entertaining and informative as, as a certain level of expertise. So really that, that's what it comes down to at that point. And you just try to put together enough content sources where you can keep the, the content flowing daily for each site. And has, has COVID had any impact on that you've seen on traffic? Has it, has it increased traffic because there are more people at home, more people on the internet, more people searching things? Or have, have you, has it been kind of a, a flat or maybe a steady increase based on the fact you're, you're generating more content? But have you seen, has it had any impact on your sites that you could you can notice? Yeah, I would say it increased traffic considerably, especially for um, a couple of my larger sites. So positive impact there. And I think now that we're kind of coming to the tail end here, um, well, we're pretty far along, more and more people are returning to work. Um, I've noticed a bit of a dip in traffic, but it's hard to say whether that's it because I, my biggest site is a little bit seasonal. So mm -hmm. I usually experience a, a drop come September as well. Um, so hard, hard to say what the difference is, but yeah, overall, uh, an increase. 
Now, how many sites, that, that was a question I asked earlier that I never followed up on. So how many sites are, are we talking about in, a, in your portfolio? A 14 right now. And how do you determine what sites you're, I mean, is it just based on your personal interest? You say, hey, I'm interested in this topic, so I want to start a site. Or are you actually looking at keywords and thinking, you know, just what's the competition out there? What are, what's traffic? You know, who's searching for this, these topics type thing? I have a pretty good sense now. I, I've started a lot of sites and some have been like, total duds, went nowhere. And then I've started some that have been good and some in between. So I have a pretty good sense about the, the various niches and topics and types of sites that are good fit for me mm-hmm. and for the VAs that I have working on them and for the content sources I have. So I have a pretty good sense for that. And so I really try to stay within my wheelhouse these days. So they are on different topics, but really when you sort of look at the nuanced differences, there's not a lot of differences. A lot of content's very similar. It might be a different topic, but it's produced and it's formatted and it's published in a very similar way. So, you know, I'm trying to create, make things as universal as possible across all my sites. And so if a new site idea I have, if I can fit that into really what's working within my current workflow, then I'll add that site. I mean, the beauty of, of what you've created, I mean, you really have built kind of a business around a lifestyle. I mean, you know, you can virtually work from anywhere on the planet that you have an internet connection. Uh, you know, you take your laptop with you wherever you are and, you know, create content, manage your empire, you know, whatever you want to call it. But what what have you seen since since you really started kind of this business what are some things that that you know now that if you would have known, you know, eight years ago or six years ago or whenever the magic date was that you started the business kind of full time, there would have been a game changer for you. you so, man, if I'd have known these these one or two things, I would have been in a completely different place today. Oh, yeah, I've made some mistakes along the way that I wouldn't I would hope to avoid. I. I would say a bigger focus on keyword research earlier probably would have put me today at a uh, more traffic in the aggregate with all my sites. Uh, I didn't do a lot of really careful. I sort of went after the the big keywords, the competitive keywords that kind of everybody else did. And that was a Mm -hmm. mistake because they didn't really get anywhere. And so I adjusted. What's that? It's hard to rank for those. It's, yeah, it's almost impossible unless you want to go down the whole SEO link building avenue, which is something I didn't want to do and I don't do yeah. with the exception of one small experiment around. So really, it, I, I wish I had started and focused more on really sort of low competition keyword research and focused on that earlier. Because um, when I did that, that was a big difference. That's when the traffic just started growing and growing and growing. Um, Aside from that, I mean, that, that's essentially been my, my focus and constantly trying to get the best content I can publish for a rate that makes economic sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're always balancing this whole, okay, well, I got to publish good content. I know that. Otherwise, it's not going to work. But at the same time, I don't want to spend like $1,000 per article because right. it's not economically viable. It's not going to work. So that, that's what I'm constantly balancing out. See, you're, you're so good now in this interview, you're actually answering questions before I even asked them. I mean, that was, <laughs> that was the very next question I was going to ask is, is it a, is it a delicate balance, you know, between quantity and cost or quality and cost, I guess, you know, that say, and how do you determine that? How do you determine, say, especially early, you know, in a niche site, how do you determine, yeah, this is going to be an affordable content, you know, 
costing strategy versus, you know, I, I'm going to end up six months from now and it's going to be a dud and I've spent 40 grand on, you know, content that, that I, it's irrecoverable. Yeah. Okay. The simple, the simple answer to that problem, because it's a real problem. You could spend 50,000 on content very, very quickly, very optimistic that it's going to be a big success and it can, you could literally lose it all. Okay. So the simple solution to that is start in this business and write it yourself. Mm -hmm. I wrote for years. I wrote eight hours a day. I would write 5,000 words a day, sometimes 6,000 words a day. Like that's all that's discipline. I, I did nothing else. I did keyword research almost daily or weekly. And then I just wrote those articles. And that's what I did. Cost me nothing. And I learned a lot and I learned what worked and didn't work. So when I was in a position, so eventually once my traffic was, was getting up there pretty high numbers, I could look at the data. I was in a position to make pretty good guesses about, okay, well, if I'm going to spend a hundred bucks on an article, uh, I've got a much better idea where I, you know, what type of articles I should publish. And so that's worked out for me. And so now I can order content confident that it's going to actually pay off in the long run. But there's a lot of metrics that you would look at when you, when you analyze your, on your content spend. I mean, you're, you're looking at, um, you're looking at uh, page views per article on average per month, but then you're looking at your ad revenue per article on average per month. And you're looking at this. So, and that can vary site to site as well. Yeah, for sure. But then at the end of the day, you also want to consider your overall site value, because what's really great about these websites is you can sell them very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, if, if you have a $5 million website, uh, th that's going to take a while to sell. There are not a lot of people with 5 million bucks right. just going to dump it on a website in a week. Right. But if you have a site that's under a hundred thousand evaluation, something you always want to keep in mind when you're ordering this content, you may be breaking even every month on what you spend on content and what you're bringing in revenue, but you have to keep in mind that. Um, your site has a lot of value. It's usually valued these days between 35 and 50 times your monthly income. Okay. So if you're making a thousand bucks a month on a website, that's potentially roughly a $50,000 website. So you may be breaking even every month, but you still have a $50,000 asset. You could probably sell easily within a few days, as long as the numbers all make sense. So there's always that part of the equation that I keep in mind. So because I have a large portfolio, I'm constantly thinking about, okay, well, I'm actually spending more this month on this new site than it's going to earn, but I'm okay with that because eventually the monthly revenue will get up there. And more importantly, the uh, come sell time, there's, that's when I'm going to realize a lot of the profits from the site. So if you're looking at like annual revenue, that's our annual, I guess, that you're what you're making a month. I mean, that's really kind of a three or four multiple like of annual revenue, right? What the Correct. what you were talking about. So exactly. Um, and that's I mean it's probably similar to you know e-commerce sites and and just you know startups as a whole, kind of in that space, maybe three to five or whatever. But it's interesting because if if you are, you know, it's you're you're banking on the fact that you're going to increase traffic. <laughs> yeah you know yes i am because you're not you're not buying that at tomorrow's valuation based on today's output because it i mean in essence if it stays the same you're going to lose money as a buyer yeah i mean if, if traffic doesn't increase i mean it would, i guess it would take you three three to four years to even to break even you know based yeah, on the, the, the purchase of the, of the i think cost. most people buying a site are buying it with the intention that and the hope it's going to definitely increase in traffic for sure but I, I wouldn't do it as well as you do. I mean, I could buy one of your sites and, and, you know, you have this growth path and I'm like, 
well, I, I certainly don't believe I'm going to do it as well as, as you have. Um, and, but I, I guess the whole idea is, is interesting about, about just how this whole industry has kind of shifted, you know, in the last few years. I mean, you hear some people say that, you know, hey, niche sites were, that was yesterday. You can't do the same thing today, but obviously you're proving them wrong. Oh, well, I, I'm, I'm still, I consider myself still a small publisher. I'm not a big publisher. I'm just one guy who owns a bunch of sites and a couple of them happen to do pretty well. Um, it's a thriving, growing business. I mean, I, mean, I think a, a really strong indicator that it is a growing industry is you look at the valuations alone for the websites. Okay, five years ago, um, 30 times monthly income was about an average, probably on the high end of a, of a valuation multiplier. Okay, fast forward today, there are some people paying 45 to 50 times mm. monthly income because they see how strong of an industry this is. The potential of these sites is huge. The potential return on investment, if you know what you're doing with content and SEO and monetizing with display ads or affiliate offers or both is huge, huge, huge ROI potential. So uh, I would say re- I would say it's almost like the golden age of these content sites right now. It's it's really big industry. So as, as we wrap up today, I've got, I've got one final question for you. And I'm really interested to hear your, I mean, I'm interested to hear all your answers, but I'm really interested to hear this one. So if everything shut down tomorrow, like if I, all your sites went to zero or whatever, what would you do to make a living starting next Monday? <laughs> and I got I mean, would, you, would, would you be in the same, would you be in the same, like, would you restart the same thing again, I guess is my question. Or would you say, actually, you know, I, I think I would do this instead. Oh, no, I, I'd stay in the, if I could sustain it myself through it, I'd start this business again. Love this business. Love it. Yeah. And I, I believe there's a future for it. And it takes like on average, like how, how long does it take once you start a site, how long does it take before it really starts kind of generating some, some sizable revenue? Yeah. One year you start getting in some action. Like you should be able to get to low four figures a month in a year. That's pretty aggressive, really two to three years till you're going to see some like, you know, full-time living type numbers, three years, I would say. And that's Um, a, that's a lot of content that you've created in three years. Yeah, well, I've been at it longer than that. I've, I've been at it now a number of years. But yeah, I mean, in three years, you, you have to put, put out a lot of content. Now, you know, if th- there are always exceptions. If you're very good at SEO and you're very good at link building and you can, you know, tap into some pretty high paying affiliate offers, you can shortcut that a lot. Right. So there's a lot more moving parts to that type of type of niche site. And it's not something I do. I, I tend to take the slower, more content. Uh, sort of growth outlook. That's that's my process. That's what's worked for me. But I, I know guys who can cut that time in half with some really clever SEO and affiliate offers. So yeah, I mean, you could go down that road if you like as well. This is this has been an amazing conversation. I I I, I could we could just chat all afternoon. I could continue <laughs> to ask you questions, and, and then you won't be able to be able to write content for your niche sites if I keep asking questions. But. <laughs> John, is there anything you want to wrap up with today that I haven't asked you about that you just like to close this out with and maybe just tell people where to find you online? Yeah, sure. Well, I, I would suggest if this whole business model, this business model appeals to you. I mean, 
First off, choose niches that interest you because you're going to devote a lot of time to it and pick Good something word. you're interested in. At the same time, you definitely want to make sure there's a sort of commercial viability behind it. Some yep. people pitch me niches and ask me, is this okay? And I'm like, well, you know, there's really like zero money in it whatsoever. <laughs> that that's you're gonna spin your wheels and for not much payoff. So should be interested in it, should be commercially viable to an extent. And you know, I really, really recommend start writing yourself. Even if you have money, disposable money to invest in this, you, you're gonna get a much better sense if you if you do it yourself, sweat equity, and then take that money once you know what you're doing, invest it and be patient. Gotta be patient. And you can learn a lot more. I do write a, I write a lot about this stuff. Uh, do a video channel, YouTube channel as well, and everything else at fatstacksblog.com. Fatstacksblog.com. We'll make sure that is that that site is in the in the uh, show notes. And John, I just really appreciate you taking the time today. It's been uh, great to catch up with you and and uh, just hear your kind of your backstory and and hear what's going on now, especially in this really exciting industry. Of, of niche sites and really appreciate you taking time and just playing your part in helping all boats rise and a rising tide. John, thanks again. Hey, thanks very much, Kevin. Appreciate it. Another episode in the books. We hope you heard some great takeaways. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes and YouTube. As always, thanks for listening to Rising Tide.